Welcome. This is I Have to Ask from Slate. I'm Isaac Chotner. I've been Slate's resident interrogator for the past year or so, and have had some tense discussions with people like Newt Gingrich and personal conversations with novelists like Jonathan Franzen and Zadie Smith. Every week on I Have to Ask, I hope to bring those kinds of conversations to life. You'll hear the voices of newsmakers, celebrities, icons, really anybody interesting, and hear firsthand about their world and what drives them and their ideas. Today, my guest is Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Senator Schumer finds himself in a new political climate. The Democrats are in the minority in both houses of Congress, and President Donald Trump has almost completely ignored the protocols of his office, forcing more traditional politicians, like Schumer, to reevaluate how they operate. Senator Schumer spoke with me from his office in Washington. Senator, thank you so much for joining me on the inaugural episode of the podcast. It's great to be with you. Everything is going so wonderfully in America, I hardly have anything to ask you, but I'll do my best. (laughs) You know what Martin Luther King said? No, tell me. The arc of history is long, but it bends in the direction of justice. Oh, okay. Have faith. I actually did know that. Okay. Um, Do you view President Trump as in any way an ideological figure? And if so, do you think that ideology differs from other Republican presidents you've worked with or observed? Well, here, I think there's a dichotomy. When I, I said this to President Trump himself, I said, when he can't, when you campaigned, I said to him, you campaigned as a populist against both the Democratic and Republican establishments. But your governing is a hard right ideologue. Your cabinet is hard right. Your ACA proposal, Trump Care, is hard right. Your proposal on taxes looks like it's hard right. So he would never have won campaigning on a hard right platform because the hard right is so far away from where the rest of America is. It's even far away from where the average Republican is. But since he doesn't really care about the issues, and I think Pence, who's a hard right guy, Priebus, who just, you know, went along with the hard right stuff, they sort of packed the cabinet and are directing the president in a hard right direction. And I think his presidency is going to be, is not going to succeed at all because of that. Did you have any sense when you knew Trump before he was president? I know, I don't know exactly how well you knew him, but do you have any sense that he was the figure that we're seeing now, or do you think he's changed? I think he's the figure we're seeing now in the sense that he mostly cares about himself, his image, and how people react to what he's saying. I don't think he cared about issues then, and I don't think he cares about issues now. When he was in New York, he was sort of a Democrat. He was sort of pro-choice, sort of pro-gay rights. Now he's totally reversed himself on those positions, you know, for political expediency because he ran as a Republican, and that's you have to, you know, sort of be that way if you're running Republican primaries. But as president, he's moved even further over to the right, Well, you particularly say, on economic issues. You say hard right, I mean, but there are different forms of hard right. And I think you're seeing right now in the Republican Party, you have this sort of cleavage between a Steve Bannon t- sort of hard nationalist right and a Paul Ryan more libertarian right. I mean, do you think that Trump sort of thinks ideologically about those? No. Okay. I think he does not at all. I don't think issues matter to him very much. But those two hard rights still um, tend, well, I think the, you know, the hard right that favors special interests, big business, tax cuts on the wealthy, 
is the one that's predominating. I don't think Bannon's opposed to those, but his stuff, you know, would be more like the immigration executive order and things like that. But I don't think they conflict with each other. I think they coexist with each other. Each side lets the other do their thing. You know, the business leadership probably didn't like the executive order, but because they're so panting to cut their taxes and so-called regulation, which we call protections, um, they go along. But I, as I think you brought up earlier, that the, the problem is, is that the sort of Steve Bannon wing of the party, I think, recognizes, at least politically, that it needs things like a something less than libertarian approach to healthcare, say, to have electoral success. And so I was wondering if you think that that is going to be a problem for the Republicans going forward. And if you think... I do. Well, uh, here's what I'd say. The fact that Trump is forsaking promise after promise to the middle class, you know, voter who voted for him is going to hurt his presidency and hurt the entire Republican Party. And I think provides a tremendous opening for us to fill that gap. Unfortunately, in 2016, we did not have a sharp, bold economic plan. And if you ask the average voter what a Democrat stand for, they couldn't say a thing. And that is something we must and are changing. I, I want to ask you about the Democrats in a minute, but I, I, just to finish up on this, it seems like you're saying that in terms of policy terms, you sort of think the Ryan wing will always win out. Trump doesn't really care. And I think Bannon thinks he can please his base by the kinds of bigotry and uh, calling out of the others. Um, and so on economic issues, uh, I think, yes, the libertarian wing will prevail. Now, maybe on something like infrastructure, it might not. But even there, where they seem to be headed, instead of actually putting real dollars into infrastructure, which is what the libertarian wing hates, they come up with these tax breaks. You know, 82 cents on the dollar in a bill like that that they propose would go to Wall Street, to the financial world. And you couldn't build anything in rural areas and in others. And that is... You know, not something, I guess, that the so-called Bannon wing would want, but would go along with. Do you think Mitch McConnell will bring an infrastructure bill uh, to a vote in the Senate? Well, I don't know if they can put the pieces together because this tax break idea just doesn't work. And one of the greatest, there are three weaknesses of it. First, 82 cents on the dollar goes not to building roads or water or sewer or power or broadband, but to pay back the bonds, the bonds that are issued. Second, it creates tolls in places where they build things, where there were never tolls before. But third, and this will be real trouble for Mitch McConnell, you can't do anything in any rural areas because there's not enough of a revenue stream to pay back the bonds. And so how's he going to bring a bill to the floor that'll hardly do anything in so many of the rural states that make up his coalition? I want to ask you about Republicans in Congress from a more personal standpoint. You, you know a lot of these people. You work out with them at the gym. You've known them as colleagues for a long time. I, I think uh, for people on the left side of the aisle, what's been going on in Washington, everyone is just kind of shocked and can't believe their eyes that this is actually reality. Is your sense from Republicans in Congress that... That's the or senators that, you know, that that's the way they are, too. They can't believe this is going on and they're happy to go along with it because they get some of what they want or that they're actually simpatico with what's coming from the White House. I think it's the former. But, yeah, um, I, they are going along and, you know, on things like the Supreme Court, they hope. We hope it doesn't happen, but they hope to get a nominee who's hard right. So they go along. But I, they 
I believe that many of my Republican colleagues are, you know, privately upset about Trump, and many of them are worried about the future. Uh, they don't want, uh, they're worried that Trump will lead them uh, into, you know, an abyss. Uh, do, do you have those conversations with people, or that's just your sense? That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, well, it just just to bring this full circle then, it sounds like what you're saying is that more of the Republicans you know in Congress at heart are probably more sympathetic with sort of a Paul Ryan view of the world than a Steve Bannon view of the world. Well, they've, they've been part of the Paul Ryan world for a long time, and they've always gone along with it. Even the more mainstream ones let the hard right run the show. The lucky part for them is they never could govern from the hard right because we had a Democratic president, a Democratic House, or a Democratic Senate. Now that the hard right can govern, I think they're bumping up into the harsh reality that it's not what America wants. It's not even practical. That's what we've seen on ACA. I think that's what we'll see on their tax reform. Uh, it's going to have create all kinds of problems for them because you, an ideology, a hard right ideological movement like this is based on negativity. We don't want Obama to do this. We don't want the Democrats to do that. When they have to do things constructive, they're in a pickle. Um, you mentioned an abyss. Do, do you have things particularly that you're worried about in terms of an abyss? Um, what, what would just, you know, just here's the greatest thing I'm yeah. worried about. This is Steve Bannon. Um, their goal, and Trump is part of this, it fits in with his ego, um, wants to make Breitbart News and the New York Times equivalents. And each is fake and the public shouldn't believe either one. If we get to that day in America, I'm worried about the future of democracy here. And you think that's a conscious effort that they're pursuing? Oh, absolutely. They don't want anything to stand in their way, including truth, facts. So that's your biggest sort of fear about democracy? Um, that's my democracy. greatest worry. That goes even beyond any ideology. It goes to the future of our country. Because if we don't have a... The founding fathers were amazing. And they put together this construct, this government, where people debated because... But they came from the same fact base. And then you had your views, I had my views, we'd go to a town hall meeting or we'd go to a Congress and we'd debate it and come up with a solution. If we are no longer fact-based and if everything is regarded as false and Donald Trump, as he did with the Obama uh, uh, wiretaps, can just make it up and no one believes anybody, that's a real problem. It's funny you say that. I mean, the, the conspiratorial side of Trump, which we've seen in the last five or six years, I uh, I was wondering, you know, from when you knew him, if you watch old videos of Trump from 15 years ago, he doesn't quite seem the same in that regard. Um, he seems to have a sense of irony. He seems to have a sense of himself you, as a you character. Followed, you followed the old Trump more closely than I did, so I can't really comment on You're that. a New Yorker. <laughs> Come on. I'm a New Yorker. I've seen him from afar, but it was always a show. It was always ego. It was always the name Trump. Not too much irony that I saw as I observed from afar. Uh, you both are very distinct type of New Yorkers, though. Do you feel like you understand him? I think I get a feeling for who he is and where he's at. Yeah. And that is? Care to expand? Well, I would simply say, doesn't care about the issues, willing to be expedient as long as it serves his own purpose and ego gratification. Who do you deal with these days at the White House? Is there anybody? Not too many, because they've moved so far to the right that... Uh, and I am the leading opponent. Uh, so they, they have not done 
Initially, they tried to reach out when they saw we wouldn't go along. You know, their view of bipartisanship in the White House is Republicans and the hard right come up with a plan and Democrats go along. Well, that ain't happening. And they've learned that. So we've had a lot of success. I mean, the first two months, much better than we thought on the two biggest issues, the cabinet and the Affordable Care Act. We are on offense and united as Democrats. They are on defense and divided. Who would have thought? What about the cabinet since it was, except for one person basically is, has yeah, been or will be confirmed? Yeah, to show who they were. They all went through a lot of scrutiny. And American people now know that Trump, uh, who, you know, they're beginning to get a feel for who Trump is. And when Betsy DeVos tries to hurt public education, the public's aware of it, and that she's going to have many more constraints on her. When Pruitt tries to soil the environment, again, the American public is sort of aware of it. Uh, and there'll be constraints on him uh, when, you know, uh, um, uh, Mulvaney and uh, Price try to slash Medicare. That's already, you know, uh, uh, we're already seeing it with ACA and Medicaid. Uh, there's more opposition. So we regard what happened. We knew that the Republicans would pretty much march in lockstep on the cabinet. But we felt an obligation to bring out who they were, which is what we've called a swamp cabinet. Billionaires, conflicts of interest, and people who diametrically have disagreed with what Trump campaigned on. Classic being, say, Price, who wants to really end Medicare as we know, and Trump, when he ran, said I wouldn't touch, he wouldn't touch Medicare. I want to ask about your party. When, um, when you look back on Mitch McConnell's strategy that he used on the Obama years, uh, starting in 2009, what, what do you think of that as a political strategy of kind of going all out in opposition? We Democrats are guided by, are guided by our values. We're not just going to oppose for the sake of opposing, but they've got to meet us on our values, and they haven't, and they've moved hard right. So, you know, if they were to say tomorrow, um, uh, we'll get rid of the carried interest loophole, which Trump campaigned to get rid of, of course, we're not going to oppose it because Trump's name is on it, but we're not going to just compromise for its own sake. And when they come up with a Affordable Care Act or a cabinet nomination or an infrastructure bill that doesn't meet our values, we'll oppose them tooth and nail. Do, do you think it's a fair criticism to say that Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell did not care whether people like them and that's something that you care more about? And so all that opposition is, is harder for you as Senate Majority Leader? No, I, I don't mind the op- I mean, this is a very important job. I realized something a few days after the election. That if Hillary had been president and I'd been majority leader, I would have had more fun. It would have been an easier job and most importantly would have gotten some good things done, which is why we're here. But with Trump as president and me as minority leader, the job is much more important. So I am ready for the fight. I'm invigorated in a sense by the need to to block what they're doing. And uh, that's what motivates me. I realize some people are going to throw brickbats, but that goes with the territory. Are there any red lines you have in your mind about things the administration could do in terms of extending a Muslim ban or immigration crackdowns that you would really try to shut down the government over? Um, in your mind, red lines that, that you feel like? Well, there are a lot of red lines that they could do and will be vigilant. Do you have any you'd like to share? No, no. I mean, you never know with this administration what they're going to do. We've already told them if they try to put the wall in the budget, we're going to oppose it tooth and nail. 
You and um, a lot of other people on both sides of the aisle have faced protests from people. I, I'm just curious, just as a senator who represents the American people, what what is the psychological role that protest plays, you think? Um, Look, I, I cut my eye teeth in the Vietnam War, opposing the Vietnam War. It was a grassroots movement that eventually toppled the most powerful man in the world, Lyndon Johnson. I think the protests are terrific. I'm all for them. The energy, the new energy that the Democratic Party and progressive America has found is great. Are there occasional brickbats thrown? Sure. Are people sometimes, you know, impatient? Sure. But that's just fine. I take that as part of it. And I'd certainly prefer having a strong out there protest movement than having quiescence, apathy or nothing. You said earlier that you uh, you thought the Democrats did not have uh, in uh, an economic message. Is that your analysis of why they lost and why Trump won? Look, when you lose an election like we did, you can easily blame the other side. And certainly, you know, Comey and the Russian hacking hurt our side a lot. But you have to look at the election and figure out what you did wrong. Because when you lose to somebody who was so unpopular like Trump, you got to say, what did we do wrong? I was going to say, yeah. Was, and my view is that we did not have a bold, strong, sharp-edged economic message. And we're going to correct that. We're in the process of doing it now. We've come up with a strong infrastructure program. Yesterday, we announced a family leave uh, program uh, and platform. And we're going to have, by, by the early summer... We will have a complete economic program that Democrats from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren to Joe Manchin and Mark Warner can be proud of. Well, if America has another election, you guys can run on it. And we will. And that's our show for today. I Have to Ask is produced by Audrey Dilling with help on this episode from Ana Lucia Murillo. Our theme music was composed by Doug Chase. The managing producer of Slate Podcast is June Thomas, and the executive producer is Steve Lichtai. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And also, please take a few moments to rate and review the show. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea for a guest or just want to let me know your thoughts, please email me at ask at slate.com. That's A-S-K at slate.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. I'm Isaac Chotner.